there. Open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. We're in this series called First Things First, and we've been talking about how when you put first things first, second things are thrown in. But when you put second things first, you lose both first and second things. And last week, we started diving into the topic of what does it look like, what does God have to say about what it means to put first things first in our finances? And last week, we addressed the question of why and how. Why does God have so much to say, or why is he so concerned about this topic of money and finance and giving? And we dove into the question why in Hebrews 13, when the writer says, keep your lives, your character, your heart free from the love of money. And we introduced the term there, the Greek word tropos, which is where we get our word tropical, which means there is an environment in your interior life that the love of money can create a climate on the inside that can cause certain things to flourish and grow, like entitlement and greed and envy and clutching and grasping and possessing and hoarding and and not, not treating stuff like those Kenyan children treated stuff. That comes from a kind of tropos in here that the love of money can breed. And we said, why does God speak to this so often? It's because, hear this now, giving is like a thermostat for the climate of our soul. That the reason God says you bring an offering to me isn't because he needs it or benefits from it tangibly. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world will all live in it. Psalm 24, 1. The Lord doesn't need us to bring money to him. He commands us to do it because of what happens to the tropos on the inside of our lives when we bring the offering. That there's a thermostat setting of the temperature of the inside of our heart that can choke out some things like entitlement and greed and envy and can cause some other things to flourish like generosity and gratitude and responding to the whispers of the Spirit that only giving can produce. That was under the why discussion. And we talked about how last week. How does God call us to give? We said it should be generously. Remember we looked at 1 Timothy 6 that generosity should mark the people of God's giving, not a miserly stinginess, not giving God the leftovers, but then secondly, joyfully and consistently, like God expects his people to want to enthusiastically participate in his great generosity towards us that he's displayed in Jesus. That normal Christian life should be, everyone would want to jump in and be super excited about when we take up the offering. That should be like one of the most meaningful things we do. We gather and worship like, yes, God, I get to be a part of that. I get to give back in that way. So we do it generously and joyfully and consistently. So that was the why and the how. And this morning, rubber meets the road with the two questions we'll get into today. How much and to whom? So I read a story recently about this mom who had taught her, like a child, her son, to tie his shoes. And she was pretty excited that he had learned to tie his shoes. It was a school morning, and you know how school mornings can go, and the bus was coming, and mom says, hey, you know, get your shoes on, bus is going to be here shortly. And so little Johnny's sitting there, you know, in the entryway, and she, she goes, and she comes back, and little Johnny's sitting there, and he's kind of wrestling through his shoes, and he just starts sobbing. And these big old crocodile tears flowing down his cheek. And mom comes up and mom's thinking, hey, buddy, it's okay. You know, school's going to be all right. It's all right. Let's get our shoes on. He's like, right. I mean, I just taught you how to tie your shoes yesterday. It can't be that hard. And he just keeps sobbing and sobbing. He's like, mom, I'm not crying because of school. 
I'm crying because since you taught me how to tie my shoes, I have to do it the rest of my life. (laughs) Well, you know, on this topic of money and giving and finance, sometimes we feel a little bit like that young boy in the entryway of the home. Once we get clear instructions on what God expects of us on how to handle this, we can kind of internally respond, what? You've got to do this the rest of my life. And it's because of God's great care and concern for the kind of people we are becoming that he will consistently address this in our lives. Because as we said last week, stewardship and discipleship are intricately linked together. It's not an add-on to following Jesus. It is central to following him. It's this baseline Christianity 101 stuff. So this morning, we want to get into how much. Does the Bible give us any indication with uh, a starting point on a percentage of giving? And thankfully, yes, it does. Genesis 14 is the first use of the Bible word for how much, which is called tithe. Tithe means 10%. Genesis 14 Verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. So here's this priest, and he goes, verse 19, and he blesses Abraham, Abraham and say, saying to him, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. So there, 14 chapters in, leader of the nation, giving a tenth of everything he has to a priest-like role. And then verse, or chapter 28, here's Jacob. Jacob's making a vow to God, said, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, often the theological knock on this whole topic of tithing and 10% is, oh, that's an Old Testament law thing. Now, here's what I want to point out first. The first two instances of tithing in the Bible predate the law. The law's not even in place yet. The law's not given until Exodus when he frees the people from slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and they begin to set up a community, and God gives them then the law at Mount Sinai and says, hey, this is how you need to organize your community, set up some guidelines and responsibilities and structure and roles and festivals and feasts and the office of priests. He sets all that stuff up. That's an, we're not even there yet. So here's what I want you to understand. The law just formalizes a practice that the people of God were already participating in. They were already in the routine of bringing 10% of whatever God had given them to the Lord as an offering. That's just the way that they lived with him. And then the law put it more formally in writing to them, which is when you read words like this in your Bibles, Leviticus 27. This is part of the law, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So grain and fruit... That's like their currency of the day. So think of their paycheck. So how, when they received their paycheck, they were just saying, hey, the first 10% belongs to the Lord. That's just the way they lived everyday life with God. Just baseline. Deuteronomy 12. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you vowed to give and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. 
There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to. Because the Lord your God has blessed you. And all through these commands in the Old Testament, there's this, there's this atmosphere of first fruits. There it was kind of the firstborn. In other words, don't bring God the leftovers, the after you add everything up and the balance at the bottom and what you can scrape out then and then give the Lord a little tip off of that. That's not how God wants us to treat him that way. He says, no, you start with the very first, the first fruits, the very beginning of whatever he gives you, you start with this muscle. You just give the first 10%, you bring it as an offering to him. And you, doesn't, you don't do it because he needs you to. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He owns everything. We're just stewarding whatever he entrusts to us. Because truly everything that we call ours is really his on loan to us. Really, God owns it all, right? Everything belongs to him. And at the end of the day, it's all going to go back to him. And we just get, if God, 70, 80, 90 years to steward and manage whatever he entrusts to us. So I summarize it this way, and I think I put it in your notes this way. Three responses to the how much question. Number one. You start with a baseline of 10%. 10% of whatever God entrusts to you, you bring as an offering back to him. That's where you start. And notice in Deuteronomy it says, number two, then you supplement the tithe with free will offerings and special gifts. Did you see that in Deuteronomy? So on top of the tithe, they would then have additional offerings and gifts that they would bring. So you start with the baseline tithe and then you add to it Special gifts and free will offerings. And then the third principle is, and always remember, I, I have a new phrase for Psalm 24.1 now, and it's the theology of the Kenyan children. When they opened up their gifts, and they immediately what? They just shared with everybody around them. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who in it. This isn't my stuff. There's a deeply rooted, fallen fiber in our hearts called what? Possessing, clutching, grasping. We have a PhD in that in suburban North America. And the Kenyan children have a PhD in what? Generosity and giving. In Psalm 24.1, it's all his anyway. Why would I not want to just pass it around and let everybody just share in the abundance of all that God's given us? So there's the, there's the posture with which we approach. We're just stewarding. It's not ours really to claim and clutch and grasp and hold anyway. It's all his. He says, now manage it in a way that is honoring to me. Manage it in a way that reflects you being a follower of the Lord Jesus. Does, is the way we're currently handling our finances, would Jesus examine that and say, that's in line with a person who claims my name as Lord and Savior? How much? Start with the first 10%. So whatever your, your paycheck is, however frequently you're paid, weekly, every other week, monthly, quarterly, you take the first 10% and you bring it to the Lord as an offering. And then you supplement that offering with some other special gifts and there might be other, other causes and we'll get into that in just a moment. And then thirdly, you remember that the posture of the whole thing is open-handed and open-hearted because it's all his anyway. Theology of the Kenyan children. So the second question is then, to whom? 
So that's the how much and now to whom. And thankfully, the Scripture gives us a lot of clarity about where we bring these gifts because there's no lack of causes and really great things going on in the world to contribute money to, and we don't lack for solicitation of funds our way. But here's what God says to his people. Make sure we prioritize this. Numbers 18, verse 21. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. So here's the primary purpose of the tithe. It's to support the local priesthood. So the Levites were the ones in charge of organizing the worship gatherings and leading the community of God in worship. So the way the Levites then could devote their time and energy to leading those tabernacle and temple worship times well is their full-time work was in the tent of meeting. And then God says, well, the way you take care of the Levites is everyone else brings a tenth to support the workers, the local priesthood, which today I would translate local church. Where's your primary care and spiritual development taking place? That's why I'd say to whom. The first to whom is, where's the primary spiritual development, spiritual care, spiritual nurture taking place in your life, which should be your local church setting, which is why it's important to devote yourself to one local body and not just kind of bounce around to 10 local bodies conveniently with whatever they offer. You ground yourself, warts and all, in one local church that's teaching God's word and keeping Jesus at the center, and you just say, hey, I'm here. I'm in. This is what it means to be family. And then very personally here, this is how myself and the other staff members who lead in the ministries around here, this is how we receive our everyday living is all of you and your generous gifts that you give. We would not have paychecks if you did not give. That's how this works. That's what the tithe. So you bring as an offering, and then there are certain workers you appoint to lead in certain ways. Could I go out and get other work? Sure, and there are many bivocational pastors that do that. Probably the more effective use of the hours is those who've been called into the ministry, the more time and energy they can give to that calling so they're not spread out to other things. I think the more effective the tent of meeting can be led, of which now for 20 plus years in my life, I'm grateful for all of the checks and all of the dollar bills and all the sacrifice on behalf of all of the staff. There's not one time in our 24-year history as a church that we have had a staff member miss a paycheck. Not one time. Now, that's God's faithfulness. He said he'd take care of us, but it's also through your generosity and goodness. Now, there have been some weeks where it was fairly nervous. <laughs> I remember the early days of Eagle. Carrie and I would be at the end of the meeting. We'd have, and Mike Vanderipe remembers this, in the very first meeting, remember that V in the back of the room? Carrie had got a Nike shoe box, and that was the offering box. And he just, like, taped a message, just offering. And I remember before the meeting, he'd say, hey, Eric, what we need to do is we've got to pray that there's $75 in that Nike shoebox at the end of this, or we're not going to have a place to meet next week. And to go from that to last Sunday night's congregational meeting, when we presented a, a kind of a, a response to, hey, what are all the ministry things that have happened and all the good, th- good work that God has done, through a $1.5 million budget of giving from you this past year. And whether it's $75 or one point, the amount doesn't matter. God's looking at how, how do you steward this? 
Well, this is how, do you see, this is how local church life runs, that wherever your spiritual care and your spiritual development is taking place, the people who are benefiting from that ministry, here's what God says to do. You make sure and bring the first 10% of whatever God gives you, bring it into the support of the local priesthood, the local church, so then they can then devote themselves to leading and shepherding in the care of the flock. So that's the first response into whom. And then follow secondly here, Deuteronomy 14. And at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, notice what he says here, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. My interpretation of that is God saying the Levites who don't have any other jobs, they're not able to go out and make other income. That They're, they're just... That's, that's how they're going to make it. If you don't bring it, they're not going to make it. That's kind of what I think the parentheses in there to remind them. And look what he says now. And the aliens and the fatherless and the widow who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So the second response is to whom? So the first is to your local church, to the local priesthood. And secondly is to the poor, the orphan, the widow, the least of these, the overlooked. Do you see that? You gotta, that's part of how this happens, which, by the way, as you continue to enhance the ministries of giving in a local church setting, you know one of the things a local church can do is increasingly bless the poor, the widow, the orphan, the overlooked, the Kenya-type scenes. All of that happened because many of you gave special gifts above and beyond your normal tithe to be able to send a team like that. And many of the team members who went, that's all the checks that they wrote. So you've got caring for your local priesthood, caring for the poor and the overlooked, the widow and the orphan, and then thirdly, it's the missionary mandate to whom? This is Jesus, Matthew 28. What's, our, what's the scope of our mission? Go and make disciples of how? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. So Matthew 28 says the scope of our work is 190 nations. And some climates and cultures have been given more in this life resource-based-wise than others. It's not a stretch for the Kenya team to come back and say, hey, baseline living situation in suburban North America, baseline living situation in Kenya, there's a wide discrepancy. And Jesus would say, here's how this works. You deploy the resources to get the missionary mandate done. The goal is we got to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus said. And it's going to take money to get that done. It's going to take willing servants for sure, but willing servants are going to need funds to fund it. So there's the response to, to whom. So three responses on the to whom. First, local priesthood. Second, poor, widow, orphaned, overlooked, least of these. Third, missionary mandate. And do you see how... Really, in a healthy local church environment, as the local priesthood, as the local church budget is strengthened, do you see then we're able to then bless and give more to number two and number three? So real practically, this past year, Eagle Church, we gave away more money than we ever have in our 24-year history as a church this past year. We gave $259,000 away to number two and number three. How great is that? That happened because you, you, you strengthen, right, the tithe giving to the first element so we could get baseline, the, the basic functioning of this local body, children's ministry, student ministry, worship, men's, women's, caring, discipleship, missions, next generation, keep strengthening those things, the infrastructure, and then the spillover effect is number two and number three are strengthened. 
We're able to give more money away to ministries like Youth for Christ and what they're doing on the near west side or Indie Alliance on the near east side or Teen Challenge uh, up in Lebanon locally or globally like with Remember New or we're able to help some Syrian refugees in Berlin and all that's going on there. How did all that happen? To the $259,000. I think that's what the scriptures are referring to. He says, hey, this is how this works. To whom? And then the more that is strengthened, the more we're able to give. So back when Kendra and I were first married, just, you know, one or two years ago, right, honey, now, 24 years ago, our 25th anniversary is this summer, back when we were first married, I took a job with Eli Lilly. Kendra was a kindergarten teacher. She took a job in Castleton as a kindergarten teacher. And we married into all kinds of student loan debt, like most student loans do, but not near as many commas and zeros on the debt load as the kids have today coming out. But hang with me here. We had a lot of student loan debt. We had, you know, a car full of just, you know, college living cardboard boxes and a trailer filled with the college furniture. And I remember getting my first paycheck from Eli Lilly. Now, those of you Lilly folks in the room, this is back during the Prozac glory years early 90s. Do you remember what that was like working at Lily in the early 90s? Everybody was just so happy. I felt like they were just handing Prozac out everywhere or something. So happy. I remember I'd only been working there like three or four months and they, they handed me a paycheck that was, they called it CC bonus day. You guys remember the CC days? Contingent compensation. When the company's doing so well, all the employees just get like baseline bonuses and they handed me this. I'd only been there like three or four months. I was doing zero productivity for the company at this point. They were paying me way too much money to do what I was doing anyway. And then they gave me a bonus. Well, listen, before I entered into all that, I had become a Christian in high school. And it was one thing to go and, you know, do odds and ends high school jobs at a muffler warehouse and get a paycheck for $100 and say, oh, it's easy for me to bring my tithe to the house of the Lord on Sunday, 10 bucks. You know, bring my $10 to the house of the Lord. I was just trying to learn how to do that as a young Christian and cultivating that. And all of a sudden, I, I got married, and then we had all this debt load, and then, oh my gosh, the paycheck had zeros and commas in it. I'd never seen a paycheck with a comma in it. And then you do the math, 10%. Oh. <laughs> wow. And that's when kind of the rubber meets the road on this issue, right, gang? It's like, hey, whose is all this anyway? There's a deep, fallen, fibrous root in my heart that wanted to just clutch and grasp and go, wait, it's all, it's all mine. Hey, none of it's mine. It's all the Lord's anyway. And so the posture is this. So thankfully, I can say to you, I think Kendra and I just try to faithfully cultivate through our whole married life from the very beginning, even when we were buried in student loan debt, we just said, Lord, the first 10% of whatever you give us, it's going back to you, period. It's not even really a discussion or negotiation. And then we just tried to faithfully do that. And then when we left Lily and went into pastoral ministry, and that was a different pay scale. Some of you are feeling me on that. Some of you are feeling me on that phone call back home to my dad when I told him that's what I was doing. Anybody feeling that phone call? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and going through the, all that, we just 
tried to live simply, be good stewards, faithfully tithe, and that's how we've continued to approach it to this year. I think this past year, I did the math, I think this past week, somewhere around 11% of everything the Lord gave us, we just gave back to him as an offering, brought it here to this storehouse because this is where our family receives its primary spiritual development. We give an offering to Eagle Church that way because this is where we're cared for and loved and our kids are growing up and and then we give additional offerings and gifts. We sponsor a Remember New Child and their free will offerings in that and helping missionaries around the world. That's, that's what I think the free will offerings and special gifts are, kind of above and beyond your tithe to your local storehouse. And that's what we've been trying to model uh, in our own home and we long to pass on to our girls. You know, they're just in the getting an allowance and, you know, taking a little bit off of the allowance. They're in the, it's not too difficult to do that math mode, but we know it's important, right, as parents, if we can cultivate that now, when and if our girls are trusted with a paycheck that has some commas and zeros to it, they know this is just how you live with God. Giving and living with God go like this. And so I want to close with probably the most direct scripture on the issue of giving in the, in the Bible, and that's Malachi 3. And I want to make this kind of a personal application and challenge to all of us. Malachi 3, this is how the Lord... He's having a dialogue with his people. Verse 7, follow this now. He says, return to me. So they've strayed, they've been struggling spiritually, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? So you follow the dialogue here going, hey, return to me. And they go, how how are we supposed to return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And here's what I, I hear God saying to his people right there. It's pretty strong language, under a curse, And returning to him, I put a little note in my Bible that just said something like this. Hey, there's some roadblocks sometimes in a walk with God. Until you settle the tithing issue, you're not getting beyond the roadblock. At some point, and some of you have been wrestling with God over this issue for years and years and years. And here's what I think Malachi 3 says to you and says to me. You're not getting beyond the roadblock. You're not going any farther in your walk to the degree that he wants you to until you settle this issue. You return to him, and you bring the whole tithe into his house for an offering in his name. You do it generously. You do it joyfully. You do it consistently because you want to change the tropos of your interior world. You don't want to grow up with the love of money. You want to do it with 10% and then beyond 10%, and that's just the way we operate because it's all his anyway. And so for some of you, you have been faithfully doing this for years, and I just want to say thank you. I hope you're encouraged by this. I hope you testimonies could flow from your lives about how you've put the Lord to the test in Malachi 3 before and you've seen God faithfully come through and that's part of your story of grace in your family. And others of you, this is a big stretch. Others of you have the thought running through your head. You're like, Simpson, you got no idea. There you just ain't, ain't no way this way. And so I want to close with this very straightforward challenge. I want you to put the Lord your God to the test on this issue. He says it. I just want you to stand on Malachi 3. He says, test him in this. So I want you for the next 90 days to do this. Make a covenant before the Lord and say, Lord, 
the first 10% of everything you give me for the next 90 days, I'm bringing as an offering back to you in Jesus' name. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to test him in it. And we're going to see what God does with it. And I want you to follow Mark Batterson's quote here. I put it in your notes. If you're still living in the world of addition and subtraction, the tithe is difficult to give because it feels like you're subtracting 10% from your income. But once you graduate to multiplication, you realize that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. Why? Because when you add God into the equation of your finances, it changes the game. Changes the game. Statistics on North American church life Somewhere around 2.5% is the latest statistic. I would say as a church, we're a little bit stronger than that. We might be closer to 3 or 4%. But could you imagine our congregational meeting that we had last Sunday night? Could you imagine the dialogue we could have if we became a tithing community? Could you imagine? Could you imagine the missions work that could get done in Jesus' name? Could you imagine the poor and overlooked and oppressed that could be helped? Could you imagine what that would look like? Can you imagine the legacy and testimony that God's, God, the glory God would get from a community of people who say, you know what, I'm not going to operate with entitlement and stuff and mine and possess and greed and hoard. and That's just the current of the river. You don't have to work at that. You just float in the current of the river of our fallenness. That's where we're going. But to be a community that's marked with generosity at the core of everything, we just give back. Could you imagine what that would look like? And maybe it'd be the starting point might be a little bit like that boy in the front room of that house learning how to tie his shoes. You're like, oh, pastor, you mean I got to do this the rest of my life? Yeah. As long as God gives you income, God expects you to bring an offering, not because he needs it, but because he knows how desperately you and I need to bring it. And so as a community, that's my prayer for us. Let's go into a Malachi challenge for 90 days. Put the Lord to the test on this. And then maybe we'll have some stories up here. Wouldn't that be cool to have some stories? We'll, I'll commit. We'll share some stories from the stage and see what God does with it. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the clarity of your word that you didn't leave us wandering around aimlessly. Thank you for details and specifics on how to get started with this. Thank you that you love us enough to address this subject over and over again. That when we're in your word, we really can't get away from it very often. And so I pray you'd help us as a community put first things first. Help us to do it as an act of faith and trust in you and your character. That everything we have is yours anyway. And we want to be a community of stewards that you look at and say, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. So speak to each of our hearts. You see where each one of us is. You see the details of our personal finances And help us as an act of faith to say, hey, Lord, you can do more with our 90% than we could ever do with our 100%. For the glory of your name, do it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to wrap up. We're going to receive our tithes, our offerings. We're going to receive our communication card.